At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be continuing a series we began a number of weeks ago called The Lord of the Church. And this is a series that is walking us through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Now, the book of Revelation provides us a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. And in these first three chapters of Revelation, what we see is that Jesus is revealed as the Lord of the church. It began with this glorious vision of Jesus that the Apostle John saw while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But it continued with Jesus dictating letters that were to be delivered to a number of specific churches in what we know of as Turkey, but they called Asia at the time. It went to Ephesus, to Smyrna, letter to Pergamum, and this week we're going to see the fourth of the letters that Jesus dictated, and that was the letter that was to go to the church at Thyatira. But before we look at that letter and see what it has for us today, I want to just have you reflect for a moment on what in your spiritual life holds the most gravity? What in your spiritual life kind of holds it together? What what do you orbit around? For some, it might be a facility. It might be a church. It might be a building. It might be something like that where this is at the center of what is holding together your spiritual life. It might not be a building, it might be a group of people, it might be your family. Your family is at the center, maybe the faith of your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa or your friends in some way. Maybe that is what is holding together the center of your faith. Or maybe it's neither of those things. Maybe it's it's some particular speaker or teacher. Certainly not the one on the stage right now, but whoever you really like to listen to, that you listen to the podcast of in the middle of the week, or you have their written material that you review on regular occurrence. Maybe that is what is at the center of, of, of your spiritual life. Maybe that is what is holding it all together. Or, or maybe it is, it is something else entirely. But I want us to think for a moment about whatever is at the center, whatever is at the gravity, what happens if that thing is disrupted in some way? If what is at the center of your spiritual life is a building, what happens if you can't get to that building? If what is at the center of your spiritual life is a group of friends, what happens if that group of friends kind of gives you the cold shoulder or disappoints you in some way? If what is at the center of your spiritual life is someone with a microphone or a blog or a podcast, what happens if they fall into moral failure or if they begin teaching aberrant things? What happens to your spiritual life? What happens if what is at the center, what if what is at the center of your spiritual life is just the good things that might come because of your connection to Christ? Maybe it's been good for your family. Maybe it's been good for your business. But what happens if your connection to Christ leads to persecution or difficulty? See, what happens if what is at the center of our spiritual life, if it is one of those things, not that any of those things inherently are bad by themselves, but if those things are what are holding our spiritual life together, then we don't have something strong enough 
to hold us no matter what may come. Friends, the only thing that has the gravity to really hold our spiritual lives is Jesus Christ. If he is not the one at the center, then we are at risk of something happening to whatever else we're trusting in and it's sending us spinning out into space. Friends, this is really at the heart of the letter that Jesus writes to the church at Thyatira, to this church that is struggling to define what will be the center of their gravity. He, he writes to them to remind them to place himself at the center without compromise. We're going to see that today as we look at part six of this series, the letter that Jesus writes to the church at Thyatira in Revelation chapter two, verses 18 through 29. So if you've got a Bible, turn there. We're going to spend the balance of our time in these verses. Though Thyatira is really one of the smallest communities that gets a letter from Jesus here, they get the longest letter. So let's see this long letter that Jesus writes to this church. It begins in verse 18 and Jesus says, and to the angel of the church at Thyatira write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus writes to the church at Thyatira, and he shares with them things that are for each of us. Let he and she who have ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what are we to hear in this letter to this church? Well, I want us to see a couple of things. The first thing I want us to see is this. The Son sees it all. And by the Son, I mean the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, sees it all. Now, we see this in verse 18 as Jesus begins this letter. He he wants them to know who it is from. And so he tells them right off the bat, this letter is coming to you from the Son of God. The one who is always has been the one who has been with the Father from the beginning, the second member of the Trinity. 
Jesus said, this letter is coming to you from the Son of God, from God himself. Not only does he remind them that this letter is coming from God himself, but he highlights the fact that God has eyes that are like flames of fire. Now, what does it mean to have eyes that are like flames of fire? Well, it seems like the emphasis here is eyes that would pierce through and see everything. Eyes that can pierce through any facade and see the, the deep and the dark things that are kept hidden from all else. You might be able to fool those around you. You might even be able to fool those in your family. But Jesus writes a letter to the church at Thyatira and says, you cannot fool me. My eyes see through everything. Now, when we think about this, I, I want us to, to think about the, someone that, that sees everything. All of us in our life have different people in our lives who tend to emphasize two different kinds of things. In our lives, there, there are probably people that what they see are broken things. And every time they talk to you, they point out what's broken. They point out what's broken in you. They point out what's broken in uh, the city that we live in. They point out what's broken in the country that we're a part of. They point out what's broken in the church. They point out what's broken in the neighborhood watch group. They point out what's broken on Facebook. They point it out, and that's what they do. They point out what is broken. That is what they see. That is what they talk about. Now, there are other people that don't talk about what's broken. Those, they're the people that talk about what's beautiful, right? And the people that talk about what's beautiful, that's all they ever want to talk about. I mean, no matter what's going on, they're going to tell you that everything is awesome. It's great. It's awesome. It's fantastic. They're the people that want to make the plane crash sound like a scheduled part of the air show, right? So, so there are those in our lives who emphasize and talk about the broken, and there are those in our lives who emphasize and talk about the beautiful. But what happens over time to our perspective about those people? We end up not trusting what they say. Because the person that all they ever do is point out what's wrong, we go, yeah, maybe there's truth in that, but you're just always complaining about something. And the people that are always just, you know, pumping sunshine, then those people were like, you know what, I... Yes, but, uh, you know, you're not going to tell me if there was something really obviously wrong. But what's fascinating to me is when Jesus writes these letters, he lets us know that he actually sees it all. What does the son see? He sees everything. And it's pointed out in clarity in this letter. Because to this church at Thyatira, he writes to them, and even this church that has many things going wrong, right? I mean, this is the longest of the letters that he writes to the churches. The majority of that letter is spent in some kind of a rebuke. But even to the church that had all of that stuff going on, Jesus spends time at the beginning saying, guess what? I know and see what is going well in that church. He says, I, I see your works. I see your love and your faith and your service. No doubt in Thyatira, there are people who had been cared for by the believers in that community. There were people that didn't have something to eat that 
were given something to eat by believers in that city. There were people that didn't have some place to stay warm that were invited in and kept warm by the believers in that city. There were, there were people who needed encouragement, who were encouraged by the believers in that city. And Jesus says, I see the good that is going on there, and I want to commend you for it. He sees it all. He sees the good. Not only that, but he sees their patient endurance. It's a difficult time to be a Christian in the first century. People were dying for their faith. And Jesus says, you've not given up your faith in me. You have patiently endured. And unlike the church at Ephesus, who had fallen away from their first love, Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, your latter works have exceeded the first. In other words, I see growth in your church. I see growth in your spiritual lives. Jesus looks at this church that clearly has some things that are going wrong. And he notices what's going right. And I say that today because we have lives that are a mixture of good and bad. Amen? Let's just be honest about it. There are things where we are growing. There are areas where we are growing. And there are places where we are struggling. And if Jesus were to write us a letter today, you know what he would do? Not just say, let me just air some grievances with you people. He would begin the letter and say, this is what I'm seeing in you. And this is what is evidence of my spirit at work in your life. Jesus notices when we trust him and we obey him and when we follow him. But Jesus doesn't just notice those things that they were doing right. He he continues on. And at the beginning of verse 20, we find out that he has this against us. He has this against the church at Thyatira. He did not just see what was good. He also saw the problems. He wasn't just going to see the beautiful and skip the broken, but he's going to talk about both. And the two things he's going to talk about basically fall one within their behavior and another within their beliefs. And he, he basically says to them in, in this moment, I, I see that your behavior in so many ways is growing and is doing well, but there is a problem in the area of your belief that Jesus sees and needs to challenge. Now, Warren Wiersbe helps us think about this a little bit. He, he says, unloving orthodoxy and loving compromise are both hateful to God. Now, I think this is a a, a fascinating comment because this is a lot of what happens in churches today and individuals today. We want to take uh, the Christian experience, we want to take the Christian life, and we want to make it one one or the other of these things. We want to make the Christian life all about orthodoxy, meaning hanging on to true statements, our doctrinal statements remaining pure. But there's a whole other set of believers a whole other set of people who call on the name of Christ that say, that's not really all that important. What's really important is just demonstrating love and compassion to those around us. You know how Jesus answers the riddle, what's important, orthodoxy or love? You know how he answers it? Both. Both are important. He sees it all. And so as we think about the experience of our own lives, we need to be reminded that the Son of God sees it all. He sees the part that you post on Instagram and Facebook and the part that you would never 
intentionally post on Instagram and Facebook. He sees the part that your family knows about and he sees the things that you have held back from them. He sees the moments of triumph and he sees your moments of struggle. Jesus sees it all. Now, when I, when I say that and I talk about Jesus seeing it all, how does that rest with you? Well, at some level, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Because we are aware, not even of all, but we're aware of a lot of the sin in our lives. We're aware of a lot, maybe not all, but we're of a lot of the selfishness that's in our own heart and the, 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 the ways that we fall short of God's glory. We're aware of a lot of that. And just the part that we're aware of causes us to cringe. The thought that God can see into our souls and sees all of that, that part is terrifying. And so actually I had written this entire message and I was going back over it this morning and I thought, I cannot leave this here without saying one more thing. And that, friends, is this. The son sees it all, but guess what else? The son paid it all. Amen? I mean, it's, it's, it's 10 o'clock, but we get it better than that. Amen? Amen? Amen, right? The son sees it all, but the son paid it all. The one who saw all of our sin, the one who knows the depth of our depravity, went to the cross to be nailed to that cross to pay the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead so that we might be able to rise victorious as well. Friends, don't get it sideways. There's only one who can do that. There's no speaker on a stage, no matter how eloquent their words. There's no building that can deliver this. There is only one that has the gravity to not only see it, but save us from it. And that is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus writes and he says, my eyes can see right through you. My eyes see the depth of your sin. I see it all. But then as the letter continues, he goes on to say this. What sun do you orbit around? What sun do you orbit around? Now, as I say this, Some of you are going, oh, brother, pastor is getting cute with his words again. And so I want you to all just get it out of your system right now. Just roll your eyes for me. Oh, brother. You got it out of your system? All right. There's actually substance to what I'm getting ready to say. I'm not saying this just, just to be cute. I'm not that cute. I'm saying this because there's substance to this. And the substance would go something like this. What one of the possibilities in our lives is that we orbit around the suns. Now, I wrote a little bit about this earlier this week, but if we were to go back to the first century and go to the city of Thyatira, and we were to hear someone on the street talking about the Son of God, who would we assume they're talking about? Well, as 21st century American people, we probably would assume that they were talking about Jesus Christ. But there was every bit as much of a possibility that they were not talking about Jesus when they talked about the Son of God. Because Thyatira was a part of the Roman Empire. And inside of the Roman Empire, they had this very weird belief that their human leaders were gods. Going back to the time of Julius Caesar, they believed that the Caesars were gods to be worshipped. Therefore, the kids of the Caesars were who? 
the sons of the divine or the sons of God. And all over the Roman Empire, they would build these temples and these buildings where they would demand people to worship the Caesars as God. And if you worship Caesar as God, then your life could flow and operate in the Roman Empire. But if you did not, then you had certain privileges withheld from you. Privileges like the ability to have a job, the ability to thrive in society. And and even at times, if you didn't worship Caesar as God, you might be accused of treason and you might have to give your life for failing to worship him as such. Just as we saw earlier in the letters to Pergamum and Smyrna with people like Antipas or Polycarp. See, the the situation was significant in that era, and there was a tremendous amount of pressure to to worship the sons, to to have a number of different sources of influence inside of your life. Now, for Christians, they could not give up Jesus entirely. I mean, he was the one that had saved them from their sins. But there had begun to be temptation inside of the church to add other sons alongside the son for our lives to rotate around. In other words, we could worship Jesus on Sunday, but the rest of the week we better also acknowledge Augustus and Tiberius and the other Caesars as God so that we could have a job and various things. Now, this idea was promoted in the city of Pergamum by a guy that reminded Jesus of the Old Testament figure of Balaam. But in the city of Thyatira, there is another person who is promoting this same kind of belief and thought And this time it was a woman that reminded Jesus of someone else, reminded Jesus of the Old Testament woman, Jezebel. Now, I don't think this woman in Thyatira's name was actually Jezebel, but Jezebel is who this woman reminded Jesus of. Now, who was Jezebel? Jezebel was not someone who was a believer in God. She was not a God follower, but instead she was the son of another nation who worshiped the god Baal. When the, the nation of Israel split into a northern and a southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah held together with the line, the Davidic line of kings that ultimately would lead to the Messiah. But the northern kingdom of Israel and its 10 tribes had a number of different kings that ruled them, All of them were pretty bad, or most all of them were pretty bad. If you really want to get depressed this afternoon, go read 1 Kings and just see the mess that unfolds chapter after chapter after chapter with the kings of the north. And yet, you know what's said of Ahab? What's said of Ahab is that he was the worst of the bunch. Now, that's quite a statement in a place that had some real problems. Um, And so Ahab had taken for his wife Jezebel. Now, what Jezebel had done as she joined Ahab over leadership of the northern kingdom was she said, yeah, you can worship your God, but you also need to worship Baal. And so she had influence and they put a bunch of poles up all over the place for people to worship. And they put these high places where where people were invited to worship all of these other gods so they could have their God, but they also needed to add Baal alongside that God. Well, that didn't play well with Israel, and it didn't play well with God. And so God raised up a prophet to call that behavior out. And so who was the prophet that God raised up to call that behavior out? Elijah. And Elijah goes, and there's this showdown on Mount Carmel. And 
Elijah looks out across the nation of Israel and in 1 Kings chapter 18, he says this, Elijah came near to all the people of Israel and this is what he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Jezebel was saying, just add Baal, just add these other sons to your system and it will be okay. But God through Elijah reminds them that that is not okay. There is only one son, the son of God, not many sons for us to attach to. Jezebel promoted this, Elijah called it out. And apparently in the first century in the city of Thyatira, there was someone who claimed to be a prophetess, who claimed to speak for God, who was promoting this same kind of teaching, saying, hey, guess what, church at Thyatira? Just add Augustus worship to the mix and everything will be okay. And Jesus himself speaks up and says, that's not okay. Now it's important for us to see, sometimes people will look at this and say, well, Jezebel's problem was that she was a woman. Well, that's not Jezebel's problem. The problem was what Jezebel was saying. See, the city of Thyatira actually only had one other believer uh, that we know of that was from that city that's talked about in the rest of scripture. You know who it was? Lydia, who was also influential in the founding of the church in Philippi. And we know that there were other women in the first century who even served in the role of prophetess. We have Anna prophesying over Jesus at the temple at the time of his birth. And we also had uh, Philip's daughters all prophesying in Acts chapter 21. The problem here was not her gender. The problem was what she was saying. She was saying, I speak for God and God says it's okay to have all these other gods alongside him. And Jesus says, she doesn't speak for me. And she's wrong on that point. She was promoting this idea of worshiping other gods. Now, that probably included participation in the sexual immorality that happened as a part of their worship. It probably included eating this food sacrificed to idols. But I really think in in, in the overall feel of this letter to Thyatira, Jesus is talking about this sexual immorality in a little bit of a figurative sense. Jesus said, I am the groom. You are the bride, church. Stop having an affair on me with these other gods. The reason why I think that is because you look at what what happened after that and some of the things that he talks about. He talks about those who committed adultery with her, meaning those who believed the same thing she believed. He talks about the children that would be struck dead. I think he's there talking not about her physical children, but those who embraced the same belief would experience the same consequence. Jesus takes very seriously this idea of adding to him the worship of other gods. He gives Jezebel a time to repent, but she refuses. Well, what happens next? Well, it's as if, friends, Jesus says, I've got it. Who is the leader of the church? Jesus is the Lord of the church. And so Jesus says, if this woman is going to stand and try to influence my church to worship other gods, Jesus says, I will take care of it and bring purity back to the congregations that call on my name. How will he do that? 
judgment is going to come upon her. He says that he's going to throw her onto a sickbed, an idea of taking her down even to death because of her failure to repent and her insistence on teaching the wrong things. And then he says he will throw into great tribulation all of those who embrace her teaching. There are consequences that come to those who perpetuate the beliefs that this Jezebel was promoting in that church. Jesus looks at the situation and says, this is my church and I will not allow it to be corrupted in this way. Now, that idea, again, is something that ought to shake us just a little bit. But I do think there is a bit of encouragement for us to see in the midst of this. See, Jesus does this so that all the churches would would know who he is, that he is the Lord of the church. But that ought to be a piece of encouragement for you and I. Jim Hamilton in his commentary on Revelation says this. He says, though this is a frightful thought, he says, let me encourage you to apply what Jesus says here to any fellow believers whom you feel have wronged you and gotten away with it. Jesus will give to them as their works deserve. That's enough. Knowing that Jesus will judge them should enable you to pray for them that they will repent and avoid the treatment that they deserve. Friends, the church throughout history has had things done in the name of the church that are rough and difficult and sinful and gross. I'm not saying all of it. I love the church. I'm just saying the reality is that's happened. How do we move forward in the midst of this? Well, part of how we move forward is we remember that there is a Lord of the church who has said, I will take responsibility for these things. Jesus says, stick with me. One of the possibilities is that we orbit around the suns. But a second opportunity is there, friends. And what is that second opportunity? Not to orbit around the suns, but instead to orbit around the sun, the son of God. Remember again how Jesus begins this letter. He he begins this letter and he says, these are the words of the son of God. You live in a city where there are lots of people claiming to be a son of God, where there are a lot of people claiming authority. And there are people with microphones saying, listen to me because I'm right. And God's saying, they don't speak for me if what they're saying is not consistent with the scripture. Jesus said, there is one son of God. There is one center of gravity that can hold your spiritual life together. And that one is the son of God who sees it all and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's such a strange image for us. But the idea of burnished bronze would have had this picture of purity as he stands in judgment. And then overall, don't miss it. And he's alive, right? And he's alive. The living God sees it and stands in authority and purity over it. And he is the one that is calling us into his orbit. One of the things that happens in life is that we might be tempted to walk away from Jesus by people who try to convince us of other things. Jesus said, don't be seduced by ideas that take you away from me. I must remain central. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And for us today, the reminder is to keep Jesus at the center. After making this statement, Jesus says this. He says, I want you to know that I'm going to give to each of you according to your works. He says, to the rest of you at Thyatira. In other words, the church at Thyatira had a number of people that had compromised. They had a number of people that were following the wrong teachings. But Jesus said, those of you who are there, who haven't, stay strong. You know, what happens in our world when somebody, we're at a church and somebody says something we don't like? Well, we just go down the street and join another church. It's the way it works here because we have a lot of options. That's not how it worked at Thyatira. At Thyatira, the situation was rough, but there were no other options for places to go and to worship. So Jesus said, stay strong right where you are and know that I can see your heart and your life and your personal response regardless of what is happening in the church around you. Jesus sees us and he sees us even as individuals. To the rest of us, he says, hold fast to this teaching. Don't get swept away with these weird arguments that say that there are lots of things we could add to our spiritual lives, but stay with Jesus at the center. Hold fast this truth. But I love what he even says after that. He says, hold fast, why? And until when? Until he comes again. What a great statement. See, we look at this and we fixate on the hold fast part, but Jesus said, hold fast until I come again. In other words, Jesus says, I am coming, and when I come, we're going to be together forever. So hang on to this truth because not only will you orbit around it in this life, but you'll orbit around it forever. He goes so far as to say that he will be like the morning star in, in the midst of the darkness, Jesus says. In the darkest part of the night, he will be the shining light that will pierce through and will gather to himself his people. Therefore, hold fast to this truth. And hold fast to it, knowing that if we are believing in Christ, that when he establishes his kingdom on the earth, something we'll talk about later on in this series, he will invite us to rule with him. If Jesus is who gives the gravity to our eternity, if Jesus is who gives the gravity to the kingdom, then Jesus should be the center of the gravity of our spiritual life even today. Friends, how will you respond to this message? My hope and my prayer is that knowing that Jesus sees it all, and knowing that he has paid it all, that each of us will make Jesus the center of our spiritual lives and that we will follow him without compromise in these days. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for just this incredible opportunity to read your word and to study it together, to be encouraged by this great truth. Um, Lord, I, I pray that as we even read these words and we hear of your eyes that see all, I know that there are probably some here that that draws to the forefront of their mind a number of things that they would like to forget. 
I am so thankful that you have provided a way to deal with the guilt and the weight of our sin forever. Thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And I pray that each and every one of us today would be trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And I pray that each and every one of us today, instead of trying to find many different things to hold our lives together, that we would put at the center of it all your son, Jesus, that we would orbit around him and him only, that he would be the one with the greatest influence on what we do, what we worship, how we spend our time, the things that we care about, and that we would just do that now, even in preparation for what eternity will be like. We thank you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.